This is an audio recording of my ebook, The Right Side Up Leader Choosing Health in the Age of Impact. I'm Alan Briggs, and I'm glad that you're joining me for this recording. If you're listening to this, chances are you feel some kind of stress or overwhelm in your life. You feel like I'm not living in the way I'm supposed to be living. There's something more, or maybe I don't have to live underneath this kind of burden and this kind of stress. And we've got good news for you. You don't have to. So me and my team at Stay Forth Designs want to bring you this audio recording. We want to encourage you to follow along with our Right Side Up Leadership Podcast as well. You'll hear similar themes in this process that you don't have to lose your soul in order to keep leading. It is indeed possible to lead well and lead for the distance. And I hope you enjoy this audio recording of the Right Side Up Leader. Section 1. Who Turned Us Upside Down? Many priests and ministers today increasingly perceive themselves as having very little impact. They're very busy, but they do not see much change. Henry Nowen. I immediately felt sick to my stomach. Another messy issue with a church leader flooded my social media feed. It was smeared all over major media networks. Another black eye for the church. I read the comments below the article and cringed. I thought of the pain the leader and the family and the church must have been going through. Over the next few weeks, I cracked open honest conversations about this situation with half a dozen pastors. Every conversation seemed to echo the same thing. Something is systematically wrong. Something is missing. Something is awry. Christian leaders are crumbling while popular culture points and laughs. It stings a little worse each time. A few months later, I sat in a cold plastic chair preparing to speak to a room full of pastors. My eyes bounced around the room as pastors filled the chairs. They limped into the room visibly marked with stress. They dragged their heavy burdens and bent the floor beneath them. A few leaders paced in the back as they talked business to leaders back home. Others were glued to their screens and banging away at sermons and emails. Others collapsed into chairs, their bodies threadbare and aching for a break. Many showed obvious patterns of fast food lunches and foregone exercise sessions, probably in the name of gospel work. The room was absent of smiles and laughter. If I were a young leader on the brink of discerning a pastoral call, I would take one look at this room of pastors and run. I wouldn't sign up for that. Not today. Not ever. Both scenarios replay frequently in my mind. The first one more blatant, the second one more subtle. Both are glaring markers that something has gone terribly wrong. We've lost our way. Perhaps we've been distracted by good things and abandoned the best things. Perhaps we've taken our eyes off the prize. Perhaps we have no grid for anything different than weathered souls and tired bodies. What's your burnout plan? If you were going to burn out, how would you do it? Every time I ask leaders this question, it knocks them off balance, like a right hook to the jaw. After a quick stumble, they usually tease out an answer. Occasionally, leaders tell me, more of what I'm doing right now. I follow the rabbit hole. I ask, if nothing changes, how long do you have before you burn out? I get concerned with anything less than six months. I've never met a leader who set out to burn out. No one dreams of accomplishing a few milestones and flaming out. We don't land there on purpose. Early in my days as a pastor, I nearly burned out. By the grace of God, he met me in that season. He gave me a bigger perspective, helped me zoom out and get a wide-angle view of the topography of my soul. 
He reminded me of his role in his kingdom and my fragility and my needs. Our world is flipped upside down. On-ramps to burnout are everywhere. In fact, most roads naturally end up there. We're laughing less and stressing more. We live in what Tim Keller calls the anxious age, and kingdom leaders are as anxious as anyone else. We preach rest, limits, and Sabbath, yet many of us live devoid of them. Psalm 127 says, Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It's in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil. Psalm 127, verses 1 and 2. This is a snapshot of the internal life of most ministry leaders today. It sounds all too familiar. Late to bed and early to rise. Stressful work. Desperately longing for rest. I've lived there too. Perhaps you're in this season right now, and it's grinding your heart into a fine powder. Most ministry leaders I know perpetually live in a state of stress and exhaustion. The psalmist calls it anxious toil. We didn't land on these anxious shores overnight. We've been angled a few degrees off course for a long time. Occasionally, a Christian leadership tale gone wrong earns a spot on the evening news, but most of the time it won't. It's a long drift. When we look systematically at ministry leaders, there's a small hole in the bottom of the boat, and we're slowly drowning in a health epidemic. Our hearts, souls, minds, bodies, and families are paying the price. Unfortunately, we're on pace with the rest of the culture. No noticeable differences. Toxins and deficiencies. Dr. Stephen Cabral and his associates have assessed over 250,000 patients. That's a decent-sized city. They've experienced an amazing success rate in getting people from unhealthy to healthy. His whole strategy? Remove the toxins and add the deficiencies. That's a great way to think about our leader health. We have toxins running through our leadership bloodstreams, constantly monitoring our inboxes, overworking, trying to get ahead, and inconsistent rest patterns leave us stressed and permatired. We have deficiencies ranging from mild cases of Sabbath skipping to diseases of trying to earn God's affection through production. We have too much of some things and not enough of others. We're full of toxic stress and striving, we're deficient in rest and abiding. Striving and stress aren't God's intention for his sheep or his shepherds. Luckily, this snapshot in Psalm 127 doesn't end with a cold meal of anxiety. It continues with this invitation, for he gives to his beloved sleep. Just as God rested after sculpting the mountains and painting the sky, he invites us to rest. God didn't get tired at the end of the week and need a day off, but he knew we would. This invitation to rest begins with refusal. As kingdom leaders, we must refuse to continue chanting the cultural anthems of stress, striving, fear, and white-knuckle leadership. At some point, our lives must declare, ministry will not win at the cost of my heart, soul, mind, body, and family. Jesus promised abundant life. Kingdom leaders are yearning to experience that. Perhaps we're on the edge of a health revolution. When leaders and teams get healthy, it's contagious. I dream of a day when a room of Christian leaders are a picture of freedom and life. Yeah, that life spilling over the brim Jesus talked about. Imitation is the core of discipleship. Imitation is at the core of discipleship. For good or for ill, 
We are exemplars. People are watching our lives as they calibrate theirs. Our habits, pace, rhythms, and rest are contagious. Is that a good thing? Do a quick and honest assessment of these questions. Would it be a good thing if those you lead lived like you do? What areas of your life are worth imitating? What areas of your life should be avoided? Section 2. What does right side up feel like? You are responsible for your own health. Kay Warren, co-founder of Saddleback Church. I want to grow up and be healthy someday, said no 21-year-old ever. As a young leader in the ministry arena, I wanted to do exciting things for God. I dreamt of being innovative, pushing the limits, and crushing it in the name of Jesus. That dream expired as I watched leaders chasing impact at the expense of their own souls. I smelled the unhealth in it. Now I want to grow up and be healthy. I desire impact that flows from stewarding, not striving. I used to want to hang out with impressive people. Now I want to hang out with healthy people. I get the privilege of coaching kingdom leaders and consulting with organizations about reaching impact. This has given me a unique vantage to see backstage in leaders' lives. I've observed a trend floating to the surface. Pursue impact and you'll find unhealth. But pursue health and you'll find impact. I call this the leadership conundrum. It's a catch-22. We want to experience impact, but when we run recklessly at impact, it slips through our fingers like sand. Look at the backward picture of impact the Apostle Paul paints in Ephesians. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Ephesians 2.10 First comes the workmanship, Later comes the works. Let's break that down. Workmanship first. We are God's poem, his craft, his masterpiece. This is a picture of our identity and the intention with which our father designed us. If we lose sight of this, we'll become insecure leaders. This can be deadly. Insecure leaders chase validation through production. Our good works will flow from striving with the hope of earning. We already have validation. Our identity as sons and daughters of the king is our foundation for ministry. We already have his approval. Works later. God has good works waiting for us. God doesn't need us, but he chooses to use us. In this upside-down plan, he invites us to join his work. We have good works waiting for us. The work is an invitation to uniqueness. As we collaborate with work, God is already doing Workmanship before works, identity before impact. When we mix up the order, it always gets weird. We'll begin seeking something that work was never designed to offer. God has wired every human for impact, but we often build our leadership structures on swampy foundations. Our cultural narrative entices us to chase impact in search of identity. Running at impact with complete abandon breeds unhealth as surely as elementary schools breed the flu. Our culture celebrates impact at all costs. We receive awards for working hard and doing anything needed to claw our way to success. The right-side-up leader chooses health over impact. The gospel reminds us we already have identity, and we get to go with our Father and find impact. Here's the irony. Right-side-up leaders still find impact on the other side of health. Zoom out. 
I often find myself in a new city glancing between the road and the upcoming turns on my phone. Sometimes the map freezes and I'm left with no clue which way to turn. In that moment, I realize I have no real understanding of where I am. I zoom out to find my location in the context of the greater city. As kingdom leaders, we need to make the choice to zoom out often. Zooming out should always bring us back to our identity. If you want to last as a leader, you're going to have to lift your eyes from the decisions of the moment and ask, what does long-term health look like for me? We must learn to rest in our identity as sons and daughters. That's the first step toward longevity and healthy leadership. This practice realigns our hearts amidst the chaos of our schedules. In his classic, The War of Art, Stephen Pressfield describes the healthy leader. He eliminates the chaos from his world in order to banish it from his mind. Most leaders I spend time with live in a perpetual state of chaos, sprinting to the next meeting, deadline, and season. Are you eliminating the chaos in your life? Are you eliminating the chaos in your life or producing more of it around you? Perhaps you need to pull over, zoom out, and get the bigger picture of where you are. Ironically, as your life gets healthier, you'll experience more victories. When the inputs are healthy, the outputs yield more impact. You'll watch the quality and quantity of your leadership rise. With some focus, tiny seeds and health will sprout through the cracks in your leadership, budding into fruit trees. Ask yourself these questions. Where are you chasing works before workmanship? Where are you chasing impact before identity? And what are a few practical things you can do to reverse these? Section three, what is the countercultural invitation? Sabbath is when we get our hearing back, our feeling back, our seeing back. Daniel Grothy. For 12 months, I met with a wildly creative guy nearly every week. He was confident, multi-talented, and charismatic. He was starting a church, so I got to peek behind the curtain of his life. Every Monday, he seemed tired and unfulfilled from the weekend. One day, I asked him, what would a perfect weekend look like to you? Deer in the headlights, he had no grid. Rest was a good idea to him, not a reality. This caught up with him after a season of pushing hard in a full-time job while training a church startup team. The problem was not his job or his team. He never let himself rest. He had no Sabbath. He didn't realize his limits. He started every week on empty. The fresh ideas dried up, and he didn't have the process to continue creating and impacting others. This story is all too common. Understanding your limits helps you manage your energy. You're only human. If you neglect your needs and violate your limits, your creativity will dissipate. Your health will fall apart. You will come face to face with the B word we all fear, burnout. In order to accomplish big things, you need to establish boundaries and stay healthy. If you want to produce more, you'll have to be content doing less. You need to find a rhythm where you can work hard and rest right. Look at the creation narrative. On the seventh day, he rested from all his work. God blessed the seventh day. He made it holy, because on that day he rested from his work, all the creating God had done. Genesis chapter 2, verses 2 and 3, the message. 
God set this example of intentional rest for us to follow. You can't effectively continue creating without ceasing. The irony of production is it requires rest, limits, boundaries, and focus. Sadly, most leaders I meet are unhealthy. We want to cultivate beauty, but we don't want to be cultivated. We want to shape healthy organizations, but we aren't healthy. We want outward transformation without inward formation. We want impact without health. Energy management equation. Prolific plus brilliant minus healthy equals burnout. I'm convinced most pastors are living on adrenaline and caffeine. I'm a big fan of coffee, but caffeine and adrenaline have become crutches in a few seasons of my life. Instead of getting rest, I supplemented with enough caffeine to power a herd of elephants throughout my day. This incessant pushing also kept the adrenaline flowing. These drugs are legal in every state and culturally acceptable, but they're blanketing the real issues below. Instead of receiving God's beautiful invitation to rest, we accept our culture's enticing invitation into constant production. Sometimes the most spiritual thing we can do is go to bed or take a day off. When we choose Sabbath, we remind ourselves God is doing just fine spinning the world on his finger. Turns out he doesn't need us. I wonder how many pastors who tell burnout stories simply experienced the breakdown of their body or mind. The tank was empty. I wonder how a simple Sabbath rhythm could have saved thousands of leaders from burnout. Practical theology. How's your theology? Stay with me here. We read thick books and talk a good theological game, but we live a poor theological narrative. What we say about God, our stated theology, inhabits pulpits and Bible studies, but our practical theology inhabits the cracks in our lives. Our practical theology has gaps, sometimes chasms. We preach Sabbath and margin and God doing the work, but we work ourselves to the bone, living like it depends on us. It's God's work, and we join in. Sabbath is a choice. Every time I choose Sabbath, I'm professing God can do this on his own. God can run the world without me. He's in charge. I'm not. When I rest, God is still working. A funny thing happens when I make this choice. I become convinced of how big God is and how little I am. Sabbath invites me to attend to my needs. My wife and I have deep conversations, reminding me how much I've craved it. I experience deep sleep and realize how much I needed it. I read an entertaining book over a slow cup of coffee. I go to the park with my kids and notice how precious they are. I push through fear and I hit the pause button on work. Emails sit motionless in my inbox and task lists sit neglected on my desk. I laugh and eat and drink and savor and accept the invitation to be a mere human. I pick up my fly rod or jump on my mountain bike. I ask my kids questions I didn't get around asking all week. My tank refills. I remember what matters and why it matters. God reminds me of my neediness. Sabbath is a gift ready to be unwrapped, but it's our choice to open it up. You have to make hard decisions. The work will patiently wait until Monday. Ironically, when we choose to rest, we get excited to work with purpose again. When we rest from work, we experience the joy of working from rest. 
Sabbath quietly declares civil war against our high-producing culture. It reminds me our culture is upside down, and I yearn to live right side up. Crashing isn't resting. Our culture doesn't rest, it crashes. Rest is proactive advance. Crashing is reactive retreat. We've all experienced the crash. Maybe you do this every day. A rhythm of crashing will flood your adrenal system as it empties your tank. Put it this way, we're going to stop at some point. You've got two choices. Enter the path of intentional rest or let your body crash and force you to stop. We've all heard the stories of heart attacks and mental breakdown. I also meet leaders experiencing a steady loss of abundant life. Sabbath is proactive. It's also obedient. Work followed by rest is the healthy rhythm of anything that's alive. If you want to keep producing, you must rest and replenish. Even the ground ceases to produce crops if we don't rest it and let the nutrients return to it. Yet we think we can beat the odds, play the game, come out on top. Good luck with that. Want to go the distance? Establish a Sabbath where you cease producing. Then you've got to stick to it. Resisting one day a week might provide more fuel for creativity than striving the other six. Rest from work. Action steps for your Sabbath rhythms. Establish your weekly Sabbath day. Talk to your spouse and write it in your calendar. Let your team know you won't be available that day. Define what Sabbath will include for you. Define what you will avoid on your Sabbath. Decide how you will approach screens on your Sabbath. Work from rest. Action steps for your weekly rhythms. Make a list of your weekly needs in the following areas. Rest. Spiritual practices. Play. Relationships. Exercise. And learning. Section 3. What is the good life? You can't think your way into new hungers. James K.A. Smith. What is the good life for you and your family? I love asking people this question. It helps us zoom out and get a bigger perspective. The answers to this question usually land in three different categories. Fulfillment, play, and relationships. These are three areas we need to be paying attention to as humans and as leaders. Fulfillment. Crushing the hollow chocolate bunny. One Easter, my parents gave me a massive chocolate bunny wrapped in gold and purple foil. After staring at it for a few long minutes, I removed it from the box and unwrapped the mouth-watering gut bomb. Instead of a mouthful of sweet chocolatey goodness, it cracked in half and crumbled in my mouth. It was hollow. Chasing impact through production is a hollow chocolate bunny. We imagine deeply fulfilling accomplishments, so full we'll eat off them for weeks. Once the event, project, or season is over, we're less fulfilled than we were before. The bunny cracks. Impact for the sake of impact is terribly hollow. We are built for meaningful work, but we despise toil. The difference between work and toil is meaning. Chasing impact before securing our identity lacks meaning. Impact frenzy is a hollow chocolate bunny you simply must crush. It will leave you frantic and unfulfilled. It turns meaningful work into toil. We become obsessed with the fruit of the tree without tending to the roots. You feed the tree by feeding the roots. 
When fruit trees are healthy, they grow fruit. That's what they're built for. Ask this, what brings you a sense of fulfillment and why? Play. Fly rods, car shows, and art galleries. Most ministry leaders I meet are good at learning, but terrible at playing. Amidst the rigors of ministry, we better learn to play, to have fun, to find a hobby. I don't care if it's fly fishing, going to car shows, or browsing art galleries. Just find one that refills your tank. Hobbies remind us how much we need to play. The weight we carry as ministry leaders can rob us of joy if we let it. Hobbies help us connect with people as we recharge our batteries. Here's a list of different types of hobbies. Tangible hobbies. As spiritual leaders, we rarely get to accomplish something tangible. Working with our hands in woodworking, landscaping, painting, or gardening can be satisfying. Adventurous hobbies. Rock climbing, water skiing, mountain biking, or hunting can all provide healthy opportunities for the sense of adventure we long for. They help us find adrenaline rushes in healthy ways. Creative hobbies. We all have an artistic heart, even if it's been buried for a while. It's never too late to experiment with photography, painting, songwriting, or smoking brisket. Athletic hobbies. A hobby that keeps you in shape can be a double victory. I've played basketball with the same guys for six years. Fun plus exercise equals a good investment. Social hobbies. If reconnecting with friends fills your tank, play around a golf, try a new restaurant, start a Monday night football group, or learn to roast coffee with buddies. Reflective hobbies. Leaving the cell phone at home and getting into creation can be one of the most refreshing ways to Sabbath. Hiking, fishing, and backpacking can be some of the greatest spiritual retreats you'll ever experience. Play is important, but not urgent. You'll be tempted to cancel your fishing trip or gardening work. Don't do it. It'll take some investment and intentionality, but it's crucial. Ask these. What activities do you do for fun? How often do you need to do them to refill your tank? Relationships. Don't camp alone in grizzly territory. Imagine you're a tent camping in grizzly country. Oh yeah, you're alone, without a gun. Every noise in the middle of the night would feel like your imminent demise. It's just not a good decision. This is what doing ministry alone feels like. We're not designed to experience life alone, and we're especially not meant to go into spiritual battle alone. Proverbs is pretty clear about the value of team. Proverbs 11, verse 14. Where there is no guidance, a people falls, but in an abundance of counselors, there is safety. I find the word community overused and confusing, but I love the word team. Do you have an abundance of counselors? Who's on your team? We need several teams around us. Here are a few teams you need in your life. Family team, those who love and care for your family. Ministry team, those you do ministry alongside. Prayer team, those praying for you and your needs. Church team, leaders in your church family living the mission. Relationships aren't transactional, but sometimes we treat them like they are. Healthy teams don't just make your leadership stronger, they make every teammate stronger. Teams require investment from all members. Everyone longs to be utilized, but no one wants to be used. 
Being an effective team member requires care, investment, and reciprocal relationship. Ministry can feel like wilderness. Don't tread the trail alone. Ask these. Which team is strongest for you? Which team is most lacking? What would it take to develop this team? Section 4. Where can I find a bucket of wisdom around here? The beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom, and whatever you get, get insight. Proverbs 4.7 Some days, I walk in the door from work and my head is spinning. I'm thinking about emails and lists and big decisions I need to make. I have a choice in that moment. Pay attention to my work brain or choose to become present with my family. I don't trust myself. In those moments, I've learned to hand my wife my phone and say, take it. Then I go wrestle with my kids. We're constantly at the edge of small but crucial decisions. We live in the age of discernment. Those who have it will thrive. Those who lack it will destroy themselves. We make some good decisions and some bad ones. You can answer your emails from anywhere. Sometimes that's a good thing. Other times, we need to put our phones away, become emotionally available to our families, and get our work done tomorrow. My wife and I try to cultivate discernment in our kids. Last year, I studied through the Proverbs with my two sons over cinnamon twists during the weekly huddle. This year, I'm working through Proverbs with my teenage daughter. The message of Proverbs? Live a wise life, and you'll prosper. Wisdom's a treasure. As ministry leaders, we speak of wise living in sermons, team meetings, and Bible studies, but we often fail to apply the very wisdom we're dishing out. You teach about living well, but are you living well? You equip other leaders for a wise life, but are you living one? We live in a world that lacks wisdom. I happen to believe followers of Jesus should be leading the way in the wisdom department. I long for the day kingdom leaders are a model for right living. We can invite others to trade a stagnant cup of foolishness for a bucket of fresh wisdom. Here are some areas of wise living we must be growing in. The wisdom of depth. The pace of life today is crazy. Technology and social media invite us to live a high-paced and shallow life. We are constantly wading through ankle-deep waters. We turn our eyes away from faces and towards screens. There's always one more person to connect with, app to check, or email to answer. Cal Newport exposes the epidemic of the shallows in his brilliant book, Deep Work. He believes depth will become increasingly rare and therefore increasingly valuable. I agree. Wise living requires deep work. Newport says to produce your peak level, you need to work for extended periods with full concentration on a single task free from distraction. He calls this deep work. As I write these words, my phone is on airplane mode and wireless is disabled on my computer. Notifications aren't our master. The living God is. As spiritual leaders, we have to work to find deep spaces to pray, think, and study. It won't happen on accident. Deep thinking is what allows us to explore a topic and delve into what really matters in leadership. Leadership practice, wade past the shallows. Depth exercise, take an audit of your time, attention, and focus in your week. Eliminate anything that lacks meaning and has become a drain. 
Find strategies to move past the shallows into deep work. Figure out ways to minimize technology use in non-crucial areas so you can focus on soul-deep activities. The wisdom of self-awareness. I'm not a shopper. I know exactly what I need, and I make a plan to sneak up on the item, grab it, and exit the retail space efficiently. When I walk into our local mall, I'm usually disoriented. I look for the nearest mall map and find the sticker that reads, You are here. Then I plot the path to where I need to go. It's crucial to find the You are here sticker in leadership. It's hard to know where we're going if we don't know where we are. There's one thing I know about all leaders. We believe we're further along than we actually are. Hunger is the currency of change, but awareness is the currency of direction. As spiritual leaders, we desperately need self-awareness. We are aware of others and their success, but we lack awareness about who and where we actually are. Sometimes a friend will look me in the eyes and ask me, how are you? Many times, I don't even know how to answer that question. It's complicated. Our lives are multifaceted. Perhaps my family is thriving, but I feel overwhelmed about a project we're working on within our church. Perhaps my body feels rested after vacation, but I need to hit a looming deadline. Perhaps I rushed through the work for the last three hours and haven't paused for more than 10 seconds to collect myself. A frantic lifestyle eats self-awareness for breakfast. When we pause, we realize things about ourselves and the world around us. Another barrier to self-awareness we experience is others' focus. One of Satan's greatest tools is self-obsession but another tool he wields is others' obsession. Perhaps we've been scurrying around trying to meet others' needs without focusing on our own needs. Perhaps we're insecure about our leadership or ministry because we've had our gaze locked on other leaders instead of the Almighty. Leadership practice, grow in self-awareness. Self-awareness exercise. Ask these questions to yourself every day or every week. I often use these when coaching leaders and consulting with teams. I explain this more in the tools section at the end of this ebook. Where am I thriving? These are victories. Thank God for the gifts He's given you. Where am I struggling? These are areas you are inviting the Father into. Invite God to move, to create, to renew. What's confusing? These are often the areas that are overwhelming to you. Ask God to clarify what your next steps are. What's missing? These are longings. Invite the Father to fill an area of longing. The wisdom of healthy decisions. Our lives can spiral into unhealth with a string of a few unhealthy decisions. The good news is that the same thing is true of a healthy life. You build a healthy life by making a series of healthy decisions. Some would call this string of decisions habits. Stephen Covey says, habits are powerful factors in our lives because they're consistent, often unconscious patterns. They constantly, daily express our character and produce our effectiveness or ineffectiveness. String habits together and you have a process. Processes will allow us to follow repeatable paths with our brains instead of reacting with our emotions. Healthy processes ground us and guard us. Putting these processes in place is a crucial step for leaders and organizations who are maturing. Most kingdom leaders 
feel like they are simply reacting to situations around them. It's hard to design a healthy life if you believe you're simply a reactor. Perhaps we feel planning and processes are unspiritual. Perhaps it sounds too much like work, and we've chosen laziness. Immediacy creates emotion. The faster you feel pressure to make a decision, the greater possibility you have of making an emotional decision. Processes translate emotional reactions into purposeful decisions. Develop processes in your personal life and leadership so you are acting instead of reacting. If you don't have processes, you are making emotional decisions. Leadership practice, stack your healthy decisions. Healthy decision-making exercise, build healthy processes in these areas. Adding new commitments to your calendar. Removing old commitments from your calendar. Limiting your technology. Limiting your availability to others. Practicing and protecting Sabbath. Determining a realistic work schedule. Blocking off time and location for deep work. Deciding how you'll interact with social media. Creating avenues for your own learning. Deciding on travel opportunities. Deciding who you will invest your time in. Dedicating time to invest in your spouse. Dedicating time to invest in your kids. Which of these areas lack processes? Take the time right now to sketch new processes. Processes are only as helpful as they are realistic and repeatable. Share these with your spouse and a few friends so they can ask you about them. The Wisdom of Priority We choose the impulse decision over the best decision hundreds of times a day. Stephen Covey differentiates these as things that are important but not urgent. Healthy disciplines live in the important zone but aren't as urgent as the incessant emails and texts blowing up your phone. Things that are important but not urgent easily get pushed aside. These are the things like rest, exercise, time around the right friends, date nights, prayer, and vacation. Maturity is about doing the important over the urgent. The important things have the power to leave a legacy, develop character, mature us, and relieve stress. Prioritize your life so the people and things that are most important don't get pushed out. Healthy people prioritize their priorities. This sounds good on paper, but let's get real. All too often we live as ministry's slave, sacrificing the important, our spiritual and physical health, our family, our relationship with Jesus, for the urgent needs we see around us. The needs of others are in our faces today with ubiquitous email, texting, and social media. Those we are in relationship with often have at least three ways to access us through our phones. Greater connectivity requires greater boundaries. Then there's the behemoth topic of social media, which is the ultimate expression of urgency without importance. Social media is a great tool, but a terrible master. Right-side-up leaders prioritize every day. Leadership practice. Choose the important over the urgent. Prioritization exercise. Make a list prioritizing your most important relationships. Make a list prioritizing your most important activities. Make a list prioritizing your most important needs. And make a plan to keep these prioritized every day. Are you hungry? 
We all ask, who has God made me to be? But perhaps the more important question is, who is God making me into? Bob Goff. The feast is ready. You've prepared for hours. The table is set. The smell of bread wafts from the oven. A roast simmers in the crock pot. Your guests come in, sit down, and pull up their chairs. You can prepare the feast and invite them to the table, but you can't make them eat. But in leadership, we try to open up others' mouths and force them to eat. We assume they're hungry and know what an incredible feast awaits them. Although we might try, we can't make others hungry. Hunger is the currency of change. It's a choice. It drives people to work harder than the rest, take painful steps, ask hard questions, and keep grinding once they've tasted victory. Jesus asked crucial questions, but some of them seemed obvious. Jesus asked a man who'd been lame for 38 years, do you want to get well? This wasn't a stupid question. He was looking for hunger and asking for invitation. The prophet Anonymous said, People don't change until the pain of staying the same is greater than the pain of change. We don't change until we want to or till we believe we have to. Along with being a husband, a dad, and a pastor, I get the privilege of walking alongside leaders as a coach. I've watched business leaders, church leaders, and nonprofit leaders gain traction in their personal lives, relationships, and careers. I've watched murky issues crystallize, and leaders find hope again as they spun out of the mud. The common thread in every growing leader I've walked alongside was a large dose of hunger. As leaders, we often assume people are hungry to change. Sometimes we want change so badly for them that we convince ourselves they want it. We end up carrying corpses around as our knees buckle and shoulders ache, wondering why they aren't changing. In this age, leaders desperately need to move from dictators to coaches. People are attempting to navigate minefields of complexity with very few people on the journey with them. We've never had more voices around us, but loneliness has never been higher. We've never had more access to information, but people are starving for relationships. There's good news. We can position ourselves at crucial spaces in the lives of those around us. Just make sure you've been invited in. Resolutions every right-side-up leader needs to make. I won't work harder on someone else's life than they're willing to work. I will ask others crucial questions even when they seem obvious. I will put the ball back into their court. I will ask others for invitation into their growth process. Section 6. What if you were fully alive? Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Proverbs 20, 23. Every ministry leader voluntarily cannonballed into the transformation business, but many ministry leaders have lost the glimmer in their eyes. Cynicism kicked naivete off the island. As ministry leaders, we enter complex realities where pain and joy and truth and grace intersect. We experience traces of beauty and brokenness every day that wage war on our hearts. I don't think we realize just how hard ministry can be. I want to ask you some dangerous questions. What could ministry feel like if you were fully alive? Would you jump out of bed on Monday morning? Would you laugh more? Would you come home early because your day was so fulfilling? Would you be able to savor a meeting instead of driving it? 
Maybe you've given up on being healthy. Do you believe you can be in ministry and live the abundant life? Seriously, do you actually believe you can be in ministry and live a healthy life worth emulating? Is it possible? God isn't a cruel father who destines us to an empty cup and a full agenda. Call me crazy, but I believe ministry hedonism is actually possible. I believe we can love what we do. I believe we can thrive. Although ministry leaders can slide into stagnant pools of unhealth, it's not ministry's fault. We are responsible for our own health. Stop blaming it on ministry. Ministry is an easy scapegoat and an alluring idol. There's good news. Being in ministry doesn't have to destine you to unhealth. If you're unhealthy, you don't have to stay there. If you find yourself spinning in a toxic ministry system, you might have to exit for the sake of your soul and your family. You can leave that blender and get healthy somewhere else, but you can often change your mindset and habits and get healthy where you already are. In a world shouting, go forth, you can learn to stay forth. I see great hope among ministry leaders today. We realize there's a problem. There are gaps we haven't addressed. We're talking a lot about holistic health. We feel greater permission for Sabbath, rest, hobbies, boundaries, and sabbaticals. But we have to receive these gifts. We have to invite Jesus into the broken places of our soul with outstretched arms and hopeful hearts. We also have to do some work. We'll have to weed out the urgent for the important. We'll have to take responsibility for our unhealth and for our health. We'll find ourselves in the fog from time to time, inching along. There will be moments we are clueless of nearly everything except the love of our Father. We'll doubt and we'll stumble and we'll get a front row seat to glimpse at miracles unfolding in hearts, souls, minds, bodies, and families. What a privilege. Press on. I wrote these words because I love ministry. Warts and all, the church is the one and only bride of Christ. Ministry is a sweet invitation with some complex realities attached. I also wrote this because I found myself in seasons of unhealth where I wanted to quit. I found myself in the fog, wondering if God was done with me and burnout was inevitable. I wish I had a practical resource like this to lean on. I love God and His church, but I also love ministry leaders of all shapes and sizes and tribes. I still feel honored to be one. The words of this book won't shatter the foundations of the earth or earn me tenure at any Ivy League school, but they're real. They were born amidst struggle, and I still struggle to live them. They're simple, but they're not easy. Paul reminded those in Corinth of our great responsibility to serve Christ and steward the mysteries of God. Might we be called faithful servants and stewards? Get healthy so you can keep making an impact. Press on. Do the work. It's worth it. Thanks for listening through the audio version of my ebook, The Right Side Up Leader, Choosing Health in the Age of Impact. I hope this has had a profound impact on you and your life, and this leads seeds of health throughout the rest of your life and leadership. If you're looking for more practical resources and tools, you can head to stayforth.com backslash resources and make sure to keep tracking along with the Right Side Up Leadership Podcast. Press on.